This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello Rich. How's it going? It's going well. You know, it's uh, exciting times in the NBA. You know, we've had a, a recent spate of 50-point uh, games over the last few seasons. James Harden feeling much of that and that has inspired us to go way back into the past and look at the history of 50-point games and how we have had eras where there have been relatively few and eras where there have been a, an incredible amount. And we're going to talk a little bit about both as we dive into the late 40s into the early 60s. Yeah, so we mentioned uh, in a previous episode that we were we were considering the idea of getting a little bit more uh, granular here on these 50-point games or whatnot, and this is it. We're, we've kind of done it here is you know, going through and, and, and running all the numbers and looking at how historic this year has been and how historic, you know, 50 point games, uh, 50 plus point games have been uh, through NBA history. And it's, it's interesting that that's kind of become, for whatever reason, just be, kind of became like the, the you know, it wasn't, it's not 40, like, you know, 40 point games are fine. They're good, but it's like 50. All right. Now you've really like, I, it's, it's strange. I don't know. Is it because it's half of a hundred? Is there, I, I, that's, I'd really like to, you know, maybe a future episode too, like the, when 50 became like this heralded number that became because it feels like for the rest of you know, my entire basketball life that like oh 50 points like that's awesome but like you know 40 yeah that's all right 49 yeah you're okay but 50 it's like it's just and then like 60 just kind of becomes like oh yeah it's like you know more than 50 you know I, it, that's kind of strange how, how it is i mean 70 i feel like has its own little connotation but like 50 to 60 is kind of this i don't know yeah why why did 50 become such a, a perfect number to to to, to do this uh, yeah, it, we don't know why 50 became the magic number. It, it's interesting. Yeah, and there was not – in the professional ranks, it, you know, really 50 did not happen until um, until 1949, actually. We'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, you know, it, there were certain times and, – and maybe we'll have to dive into this a little bit more where it was happening, you know, in barnstorming, you know, in, in college and high school. You know, there, there are probably instances and examples of 50 you can always find. But, yeah, why that became the magic number and, you know, it, it – 
it was really a a number that was extremely difficult to cross until it, we reach a certain point in the early '60s, and then it becomes uh, almost easy, um, at least for you know one or two players, and then and then it becomes hard again. And it's basically been you know challenging uh, and somewhat impossible at certain points to get to 50, and you know certainly 60 and 70. I mean, 70's only been crossed by a very small number of players. So that's a that that that's a, I mean, I think 50 is still special, but it's um, you know you know not as exceptional as it once was. I mean, there there have been you know nearly 600. Uh, 50 point games between the NBA, ABA and BAA, um, you know, in, in the in the professional ranks. So that's um, it's noteworthy, but it's not, you know, as rare as, you know, like a perfect game in baseball or something like that. Yeah, right, right. Once you get to 60 and it's certainly 70, then I think you're reaching that territory. But, but I think there's, there's still something about 50 that makes it um, it's still a pretty rare club. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like this year, I mean, our antennas all kind of rose up when, you know, early part in the year, Blake Griffin, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Derek Rose all had uh, 50 point games in like, what was it, a span of like nine days or something like that, that they had it. And then, you know, the next month, uh, you had Kemba Walker, LeBron James also get in 50. And now this year, we've seen a bunch. James Harden obviously uh, has added his name to the, uh, the list. It's, it's slowed down a little bit from where it was in November, but it is still on pace to be uh, a potentially uh, huge 50-point game uh, season in terms of the, the amount of them. But 2018 had a bunch as well. So we've certainly seen over the last couple of years it become a little bit more prominent thing. But we wanted to now kind of dive into the history of it and say, hey, you know, it's, it, it, it maybe is a little bit more prominent now. Uh, you think, but there were times where it was uh, just as prominent, if not more prominent, and then there were times where it was very rare too. So uh, it'll be fun to kind of dive into the history of these, uh, this perfectly round number that we all just accept is like the pinnacle of scoring. So I like it though. I like it. It's nice. It has a cool yeah, little look to it. So. Absolutely, yes. And our first one is from uh, Jumpin' Joe Folks, he uh, of the Philadelphia Warriors. This was uh, December, excuse me. February tenth, nineteen forty nine, and uh, yes, it's, it's it's the first uh, fifty point game in the BAA, the one of the predecessor leagues for the uh, for the current NBA, and um, he had uh, sixty three point, which was just you know if you if you think fifty is remarkable, sixty three yeah, is comes just out of the gates firing man, jumping Joe. Jeez. Well, I mean, when you take fifty six points, which he did. Um, Oh, that's you know it, not like it's easy to get 63 at that point but that that's incredible and and that was uh you know 48 percent from the field which was exceptional for jumping joe he, he was uh he was you know nearly kind of near the 30 percent for uh for his career you know this different era and, and the percentages were much lower traditionally than they are now but um this kid in his jump shot i'm telling you this thing isn't gonna work it's not gonna <laughs> you know he, he, yeah. he can get lucky sometimes and and hit right. you know 40 percent of your shots but I'm telling you, Joe. I don't know if this jump shot thing's got any legs. So. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, so, so to speak. So yes, the uh, the 56 points would um, the well the the, the 56 or the 56 shots would last until uh, 1961. The 63 points would last until 1959. Um, and and yes, that was quite an incredible record there. Uh, yeah, you know, pretty much all the scoring or, you know, a, a large portion of the scoring for, uh, his team, you know, it was a 108, uh, 87 win over the Indianapolis Jets. Um, and George Sinesky did help out with 11 points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the cool 11. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you Gail Bishop and Jerry Fleischman, you know, contributing there as well. But, uh, and you know, with three points, we have, uh, Elmore, Morgenthaler, you know, obviously the, the legendary uh, <laughs> Elmore Morgenthaler. Yes, yes. I I love the names of the late 40s and early 50s. They're pretty just, great, yeah. Because, yes. like, you would – none of these guys, like, 
if I gave you that name and said, what sport did Elmore? <laughs> you know, like, you would never in a million years say professional basketball. You know what I mean? Like, so unlikely, yes. Blackie uh, Towery. Blackie Towery. Know, <laughs> like, right. he's, he's an Indianapolis Jet. Yes. Uh, we're we're going to talk about another Indianapolis Jet, too. That uh, I do like Price Brookfield, though. That's a, that guy. That's yeah. like an aristocrat in like some like, you know, like kids movie. Like, like Richie Rich. It's like, ah, Price Brookfield. Price Brookfield, <laughs> yes. Like, you know, like. It's a good name. I wonder what happened to Price Brookfield. I'm going to click his page right now and find out. All right. Yeah. Well, while you find that out, I'm (laughs) going to talk a little bit about the Indianapolis Jets. Actually, the final season for the Jets because after the uh, BAA and NBL merged after this 49 season, um, the Indianapolis Olympians had already been admitted into the – into the league effective with the uh, the next season. So they were like, well, we can't really have two teams from Indianapolis. So the Olympians were the ones that were chosen. That was a very interesting situation because that was actually a a player-owned uh, team. At least a portion of that was owned by, you know, some of the uh, a great uh, Kentucky stars who had played in the Olympics in 48 and, you know, had some fame and some leverage uh, based on that. And they were able to uh, form their own team. And, uh, and and that worked out pretty well until the um, those players found out they were caught up in a in a point shaving scandal yeah. in the early fifties um, and ended up being banned from the league and that had a a significant negative impact on the Olympians and they unfortunately folded just a few years later. Yeah, I was I was kind of curious too on the uh, the Jets of how they got their name and because you know I've I've been to Indianapolis many times and it's I, I don't know that I consider it synonymous with like airplanes or anything like that I I mean it has an airport but uh, it's not like I, I've really seen too much and I, I still don't know if I have an answer to that so I don't know if anybody does know but uh, this is one of those teams as well the Indianapolis Jets were uh, named after their owner who was uh, Frank I think it was Kotsky is his name and he was a grocer <laughs> a grocer who who I like that you could own a grocery store and also own a professional basketball team the good old days when like. You know, making enough money on your local market was enough to buy a professional team. So anyway, they were named uh, similar to the Zollner Pistons or whatever. They were named after their owner. Uh, But the BAA, uh, when they joined the BAA, uh, did not allow you to have that. So yeah, obviously the Zollner Pistons had to just become the Pistons. uh, And the uh, the Kotskis had to become the Indianapolis Jets. But of course, yeah, as you said, it did not last very long because uh, they did not need two professional basketball teams uh, in Indianapolis. One was more than enough for (laughs) a while, so. It was, and yeah, and and Ralph Beard and Alex Groza were the were the main players, and were excellent players in the league. Groza was, you know, one one of the best centers in the league. Probably would have like dueled with Mike and to be, you know, one of the best uh, yeah. players in the league. I mean, he he was an exceptional um, player. So that obviously was, you know, they were, um, you know, that that had a major effect in NBA history for uh, for that happening. And and it took, of course it took a long time for Indianapolis to get another team. It was mm-hmm. up until the Pacers joined. You know, they were in the ABA obviously and joined the NBA in '76 uh, before Indianapolis had another uh, franchise in the league. So, one more quick little fun fact about the, sure. uh, the Indianapolis Jets or the Koskies. Uh, yeah, uh, John Wooden played there. Uh, went before they were in. You know, obviously in the BAA when they were still kind of like you know NBL era. But yeah, he played several years with them. That was his. Uh, I think his last. Uh, actual playing days were with the Indianapolis Koskies before he moved on to uh, coaching, uh, which he did pretty well. I would yeah. say John Wooden, good coach, I would he, say. He did all right. He didn't he – did, yeah, not too bad. You know, decent player – decent coach anyway. And, and also, yeah, he was one of the better NBA NBL players of his yeah. era. Yeah, he was, he was kind of kind of famous as a player as well, obviously overshadowed by his legendary coaching career. 
So that's all you need to know about the Indianapolis Jets. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> more than you ever asked for. About that's that's, that's all we have anyway. I'm sure there's probably more that, uh, you know, can be said. I, yes. Obviously, you know, our, our – our, you know, Mark Monteith, who's been on the show, has written a um, excellent book on. Uh, it, it, it's really more focused on the early days of the Pacers, but it does get into you know some of this history of the um, the pro teams in the uh, in the fifties as well, the Jets and the you know the Kotskis and the uh, Olympians and all that. So that that's mm-hmm. a, a that's a good read to dive into as well. Did you talk about Leo Magus yet? I uh, know I forgot to mention Leo Magus. I, I figured I'd take that for you being a big Leo Magus. Fan. I am a, if nothing if not the largest Leo Magus fan in the world. So he was the Jets' leading scorer in this game where Folks had uh, his uh, sixty plus and he had a uh, fourteen. So yeah, that's uh, and then if you can't beat him, you join him. He joined Folks in the Warriors the next year as well. So they were like, "Give us that guy. Give us some Magus, man. We want some Magus in our lives," and they got it. So we want some Magus. Absolutely, we want as much Magus as possible. <laughs> um, uh, fun fact about the Indianapolis Jets, uh, they were uh, early on in the season, they were coached by uh, Bruce Hale, who was uh, later famous as the uh, University of Miami coach and also famous as oh, uh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Rick Barry's father-in-law. So um, he, he did play in the... Was uh, he like 10 years old when he coached this team? Like, <laughs> no, I, well, he, no, he would have been, I mean... Um, or yeah, was he was older in the. In you know, he would have been in his been in his twenties, right? And then he would have, uh, and then he was the coach of Rick Barry in the mid sixties. So that that, that yeah. checks out. Yeah, he would have been in his forties at that point. Okay, all right, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. there you go. All right. Um, I was hoping he was twelve. I, I like the idea of like a. We have like Ryan Saunders right now in the current NBA, and he's what like twenty nine or thirty or whatever. I want like sure. a. I want like. <laughs> I want yeah. him to get younger, like this eighteen year old whiz kid that's just like right every one of these days. But we're getting close. Are you looking for like a little big league situation where you know yeah. the kid comes in, yeah, exactly. you know, owns right. a team, exactly. and is, is yeah, yeah. no, team? Yeah. I would like it more if it was a general manager that was eighteen years old. He's <laughs> like wheeling and dealing, right. and he's yeah, like schooling Magic Johnson and like tampering all over the place. Like, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be fun. great. Like LeBron James's kid. Like, what if one of the kids is like not that good at basketball, but they just kind of like shoehorn him into like uh, management right away? I think that'd be he's a mogul. Fun, yeah. yeah, that sounds fun. I like that. I'm into that. Kind of I'm into kid. a seventeen year old NBA GM. So sure. Working hey, phones I, all day and night, so that'd be good. I, yeah, they, they love their phones, I hear, that generation. Yeah, right, so, you could I mean, Snapchat with players, because, yeah. like, like, these yeah. current guys, you know, they don't they don't know what, they, they kind of, you right. know, they act, like, cool, but, like, you get a 17-year-old in there, and he's got, he's snapping these guys, he's got them, you know, right. yeah, it, it's, yeah, we're, we're, this is the next revolution here, is, is uh, 17-year-old well, NBA general manager, so. Honestly, if you're talking about players who are, you know, in their teens or early 20s, who are they going to relate to more? Are they going to relate to someone who's exactly. a little bit younger than they are, or are right. they going to relate to, like, some guys who's, like, in his 60s, you right. Right. you know so exactly. yeah we got this <laughs> we got it we figured it out it's it's good so next we got george Mikan, who's um not surprisingly pretty good at scoring in basketball correct yeah he had uh four our, our next four 50 plus point games i had 53 uh february 26 1949 uh this was an nbl record um or sorry, the, or, the 53 points. Yeah, his previous record, he had an NBL record of 42 points on uh, March 14th, 1948. Uh, this is according to Murray Nelson's research. Of course, uh, NBL, <laughs> unfortunately, you can't really do basketball references, uh, play indexes for NBL records. But uh, we have Murray, people like Murray Nelson that have done the research that have looked at that. So uh, this is 53. This is, of course, his NBA record. Uh, you get 51 points on uh, March 13th, 1949. 51 points uh, on January 14th, 1950. This is the first post-merger NBA season uh, as well. Uh, then 61 points uh he bumps it up a little bit there on january 20th 1952 and this would be the last 50 point game of his career so george mike of course longevity not the biggest thing for george mike a lot of his biggest days were, were, were prior to the nba but or the nba as we know it we should say but uh yeah he gets 61 on january 20th to uh, cap off his uh, 50 plus point uh, game career right yeah and, and 
the yeah I, I had checked because i was curious if there had been a 50 point game in the nba i figured it was unlikely but but checking out uh, marie nelson's book on the history of the nbl uh, confirmed that the record was 42 mike and uh, had that record on um on march 14 1948 um so for anyone who was curious if there had been one it appears that there there was not so. yeah maybe there was but yeah as far as we know from people that have done the research and done yeah. the digging 50 uh, 42 was, was the record so we, we, yeah we are fairly certain there was not so yeah um anyway the the next one happens in the 1953 season actually during the playoffs and this is the of course would be the first 50 plus point game ever in the playoffs it was by uh bob Cousy, who had a 50 point in a four overtime uh game um against the syracuse nationals uh this was actually the the first uh four overtime game ever the, 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 this is technicality because there was one five overtime game and one six overtime game uh it was probably a bit easier to have these happen <laughs> right. in um you know pre-shot clock with all the uh stalling techniques and so on and uh so forth uh, yeah, but you, this, you you hear six overtime you're like oh man that had to be an incredible game but it was probably five minutes of guys dribbling in a corner and then putting up one shot right before it ended and then like missing the shot and then it'd be like all right next overtime let's go so i know that like you know illinois high school basketball there was uh in a championship game of uh, like maybe two decades ago that went to like five or six overtimes and you're like oh my god and then you look in the final scores like 31 to 29 because we didn't have a shot clock in, in in illinois so it was just like two teams just stalling the entire time which sounds horrendous i haven't seen the game but yeah it doesn't sound very fun i like the shot clock i am a pro shot clock man here so yeah well I've, obviously in illinois they want to play true pure basketball you know not not, not with the fancy shot clock like you know like <laughs> right. like, like somebody's great yeah well this game uh was 115 to 105 so and there was scoring in every single um yeah overtime so it, it was not uh you know quite the stall fest that you might um expect although i i, I do believe that there this was a game that was uh plagued by a, a lot of fouling um going on and if you look at um if you look at the team fouls in the box score uh there were um let's see the nationals had uh Six players who had six fouls, one player who had seven fouls, Al, Al Servi. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this was uh, – I, I think at, the, at that point they either reached the point where they didn't have enough players and yeah, they had somebody out more. there. Right, right. right. Or, or I, I know there was there were some different rules in fouling back then. So uh, – and the uh, the Celtics had uh, four four players with six fouls, uh, one with seven fouls, and then uh, another four with five fouls. So, yeah, there was a lot of fouling going on. Dolph Shays only had two fouls because he was a gentleman. He's not going to Yeah, be, yeah. yeah. No, Dolph wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, he he's... wouldn't do that. Only had eight points in this game, uh, uh, surprisingly enough. So, um, but, yes, Kuzi, uh, 50 points. He was uh, 30 of 32 from the free throw line, which with all the fouling, you know, makes sense. A lot of it was on Kuzi, <laughs> obviously. He had uh, 10 field goals. We don't know how many field goal attempts he had because the box scores were weird back then. Um, uh, but, yes, and it was only his only 50-plus uh, point game, uh, 50 on the nose, actually. So um, a little bit uh, just uh, – I mean, not hugely surprising that he didn't have more because – I mean, he was a great scorer, but he was also known for being a passer. And, you know, he played even early on, you know, he played with, you know, scorers like McCauley and, and Charmin. And, right, of course, right, later right. on, the Celtics would be, you know, a a balanced team with not with guys, you know, not really one primary scorer. So it makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. No, he's he's not a one that really surprised me all that much that he only has one because, yeah, as you said, yeah, he played with, with with good scorers and he became more of a passer all around guy. And then, yeah, ultimately, like in, in Celtics history, like they're not going to show up a bunch on this list too because, like, they were they they were much more happy just everybody scoring thirty and then we win, you know, <laughs> we win many of the championships. We win the rings and we everybody scores. So yeah, it, it's it's pretty good there. But uh, we'll move on to our next year, nineteen fifty four. Uh, Neil Johnston, right on the nose, another exact fifty. Does this on February sixteenth, nineteen fifty four. As I said, he does this as he. Member of the Warriors, which if you're following along, uh, thus far six of our first seven 50-point games have come from either Lakers or Warriors. Uh, Kuzi's 50 in the playoffs is the only exception there with the uh, Boston Celtics uh, coming in there. But yeah, another another, another member of the Warriors uh, gets it, and uh, Deal Dodson uh, does uh, 50 right on the nose here in uh, February 1954. Yes, uh, you know he led the league in scoring that year. Actually, he led the league in scoring three years in a row. Was one of the more prolific scorers of his time. You know, kind of competed with uh, Mike and as being you know the best center in the league or one of the best centers in the league at uh, that point. And uh, um, yeah, his, his team they, not a rousing success. The Warriors that year they were no. twenty. They were twenty nine and forty three. Uh, they were missing um, Paul Arizon, who was in the Marines. Uh, they had missed him the year before and. One of one of the funnier things for me is that Neil Johnston, um, in the previous season, his team was twelve and fifty seven, which was one of the uh, worst teams in uh, in league history. But like his, um, like he had an, like an incredible number of win shares that season, despite his team uh, being he had, so he had fifteen point three win shares oh, on a seventeen win team. You know, and, and, and you know we, we know win shares isn't, isn't a perfect it's not one or one, but right, yes. <laughs> that's yes. a lot of win shares on a non team that does not yeah. win a lot. So no, and 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 in this season he had eighteen point three of his twenty six of the team's twenty six. So yeah, that's, uh, wow, I, that's yes. interesting. I'd like to do kind of a, a little bit of research there to see if like most win shares on like the least wins like that that might be Neil, Neil uh, have it there. Neil yes have it. I, I think Michael Cage also has a year with the Clippers where he has an incredible amount of, of them as well I recall I, I don't think we've ever done a show on it but I think we've, yeah. I, we we've done of course some shows on the worst teams and I believe that uh, came up in some of our research I forget if it actually any of it made the podcast but when you do like 200 and you know 20 30 shows however <laughs> many we've done now you, you tend to forget some exactly things. yeah you forget every single show that you've ever done <laughs> uh, also Neil Johnston uh, two nicknames uh Gabby and Old Hoss. So <laughs> everybody was nicknamed Gabby from like 1940 to 1971. Like that's fine. Sure. That's, uh, yeah, Gabby. What was it? Sorry, what was the second one? It was Old Hoss. So Old Hoss. Ooh, okay. Everybody was Old Hoss too. There was like yeah. there was like seven baseball players named Old Hoss. So right. Nicknamed Old Hoss. Yeah. And there's a Twitter account for one of them, I believe. Is yes, that... Old Hoss uh, Rap Burton. I believe. I, I forget yeah. exactly how to say his last name. He right. He was an incredible figure of uh, of baseball history and a, a good Twitter yes. account too. So yeah, there you go. Neil Johnson, as far as I know, does not, he passed away in 1978? So does not have a, a Twitter account. Himself. He, went, account. he went to Ohio State. So of course, uh, you know, right also, the woods, my yeah. college. Yeah, my college. So yeah. Um, Good old Ohio, and I'm sure I'm sure he was a he was a solid fellow. Um, yeah. Later, feuded with uh, Will Chamberlain as coach of the uh, Warriors. So, uh, so that's uh, a, a esteemed list of people who of coaches who Will Chamberlain did not get along <laughs> I was with. Say, yeah, right. join the list. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> join the club. Yeah. Uh, real uh, brief interlude here. We wanted to kind of look at. Um, Kind of the, the the trends of of field goal attempts and free throw attempts. So we're going to do this throughout the series as well as we're looking. You know, here in this data set, we're going to do everything up until 1962 because something happens in 1962 that makes it 
you know, need its own episode. We'll kind of preview that in a little bit. But it starts with uh, <laughs> W and ends with Ilt Chamberlain. So, uh, but uh, 50 huh. point games in this era of uh, field goal attempts uh, for this, uh, 38.5 is your average field goal attempts. Uh, average free throw attempts during this time period, uh, uh, 16.8. So just to kind of give you an idea of where that ranks all time and then with this season as well, because you hear a lot of the word, word about this season. is like, oh, well, it's because the pace is so high and they're shooting so many times. Of course, they're going to score 50 points. Well, wait, wait, wait. We'll see here. Uh, average field goal attempts, 50-point games, all time. So this is all time. So including you know this period that we're talking about up until uh, the present day, uh, 34.7. So this obviously, this era, uh, four more field goal attempts um, per game. Then the all-time uh, numbers here, average free throw attempts uh, in 50-point games all-time, 15.1. So a little over, about just about two more field goal attempts, or free throw attempts, I should say, uh, in this time period. And now what, is the, you know, what do those numbers relate to uh, with this season? Uh, this season, field goal attempts uh, in 50-plus point games, 31.6. So obviously far fewer field goal attempts. The three-point line certainly helps that. Uh, and then average free throw attempts uh, this season, 14.1. So a, bi- a pretty big drop, too from uh, free throw attempts all time and then also free throw attempts from this time period as well. So what you can basically say is from this time period that we're talking about, way more field goals taken, way more free throws taken to get to the 50 points. But as I said, without the three-point line, that makes a little bit more sense. And also shooting efficiencies. If, if you are you know know anything about basketball history, you know that guys were just putting up shots and if they weren't going in, whatever, not a big deal. Like shooting 40%, as he said, with Jumpin' Joe Falks, that's perfectly okay uh, in this time period. It's you know This was not a period of, of peak shooting efficiency where these days uh, absolutely – is. So yeah, so just kind of an idea of where where this ranks, you know, this time period ranks uh, all time, and then where it ranks, you know, with this this current season that we're gonna dealing with right now. Right. Uh, yeah. The, the good summary of that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, what's interesting is that, of course, you know, fifty four Neil Johnston's fifty point game. That's the last year with no shot clock, and of course, we're gonna see a uh, you know the the uh, pace and the points per game jump dramatically. With the shot clock, so you would think, oh, we're going to have two-point games right away. Well, not really. No, it actually, there were three seasons in a row, 55, 56, and 57, the first three shot clock seasons where we have no 50-point games. And we don't have exact pace numbers until 74, um, although we know that, obviously, the, the pace got a lot faster, but we don't know the exact numbers. But if you look at the effect on points per game, you can see how dramatically that changed. Uh, it, so start, starting with the beginning of the BAA in 47, only 67.8 points per game is the average league-wide. Um, by 54, you know, we've increased that to 79.5. So that, that's a pretty dramatic increase over eight seasons. Uh, and then immediately we go from 79.5. The next season's 93.1. Um, and then two seasons later, 57, we're at 99.6. Uh, and then 58, which we're going to be talking about where there's a big jump in 50-point games, we're going to get to uh, 106.6. So, you know, we've we've gone, we've, we've increased, you know, 35 points um, per game over, uh, you know, th- three, four seasons. And then, you know, we're going to, later on, we're going to peak at um, 118.8 and in 62 and average about 113 points per game during the 60s. So, uh, you know, really revolutionize a revolutionary change in a very short period of time. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, during those three seasons, when those numbers are going up quite a bit, um, we don't see that jump in 50 point games. I, I don't know if, um, you know, I, outside of just you know everyone kind of experimenting with shooting the ball in a very short period of time or maybe just a lack of you know Mike and 
retiring and a lack of like one individual strong score. Yeah. I, I don't have any great theories into why that happened. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, I think that I, the, the one that you bring up about, you know, maybe the, the big time scorers not being in the league at that point might be the best one or like, you know, not really a dominant scorers in any way. But yeah, you would assume that with the shot clock, it's like, all right, cool. Now we got to just like go, 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 go quick, 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 quick. So you'd assume that that would be the, the, the explosion of 50 point games. We, of course, see that in a few years uh, as scores emerge. So that's why I'm led to believe that like, you know, because in, in a few years we do see the numbers rise up a bunch, but we also see the amount of kind of big scoring stars rise up. But yeah, it is it is interesting that that you would assume in, in one of those years there'd be you know explosion, especially that first year of the shot clock. But it's not. So yeah, the, the ones we've talked about before are prior to the shot clock, which you know there was real no incentive uh, to go out there and shoot as much as you can and score as much as you can. And now there is an incentive or there, there's a necessity to score uh, and shoot as quickly as possible. And we're not seeing it nearly as much. So um, I don't know. It, it, it is very strange. I think your theory might be the best one is that there's just not you know dominant scores, but uh, it's it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, and the guys who are going to be, you know, the big 50-point scorers pre-Wilt, um, you know, Pettit was in the league, but, you know, it took him a couple years mm-hmm. to, you know, be shooting a lot. Yard, George Yardley the same way, Dolph Shays, you just kind of had one. So, uh, yeah, you know, up until Baylor and Chamberlain joined the league, there aren't a lot of guys who are just going to be likely to do that, who are, you know, they're... You know, a lot of these guys were in situations where they're sharing with another, you know, great score or two. So it's less likely they're going to be getting. You're less likely to get 50 if someone else is going to be getting 30 in the same game. So um, yeah, there's situations like that for most of these guys. But um, yeah, the next guy to finally break through was uh, Bob Pettit, who does so on December 21st, 957, scoring 51 against uh, Syracuse. And um, yeah, Syracuse uh, they. Give up a lot of fifty-point games, at least uh, in the relatively a small number of them. They they have had the last ones dating back to Kuzi's uh, um, fifty. So something about the uh, Nationals, uh, even though they were a successful team, you know, <laughs> they're good. Yeah. yeah, they're good. But yeah. man, people like throwing fifty on them. They must be assholes or something. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, like we're gonna get to teams and opponent breakdowns a little uh, in a little bit here. But man, people love scoring at Syracuse. I don't. Maybe the I I, I I forgot to look if it was like home games or road games or whatnot. I think it's a a mixture of both. So I think people just like scoring. On the on Syracuse, uh, actually, it looks to me like it was not. It they were all road games. So okay, so, oh, okay. I was wondering if maybe like Syracuse had a particularly nice rim or something that like no just love. So no, I don't know. People just really didn't like the Syracuse Nationals. So. Yeah, well, Syracuse was notorious for being a really having kind of the most obnoxious fans and being one of the really the hardest places to play and you know, having a small arena wherever where they were all not that they were huge arenas at that point but particularly small and particularly like you know kind of the fans were hovering over you so um it was intimidating atmosphere so maybe there was residual resentment from that you know, that, that <laughs> yeah, bled into playing there so screw yeah. these guys we're gonna beat their asses and right score 50 on them yeah that's uh it's interesting yeah i don't know why uh poor poor syracuse it's yeah, I, I guess so. So yeah, so Pettit in uh, yeah, so so he breaks through, and then in the uh, in the same season we have uh, George Yardley uh, joining the uh, fifty points uh, club as well. The next two, um, uh, fifty one against uh, Boston uh, in in January of fifty eight, and then fifty two against Syracuse again. <laughs> of in, course, uh, yes, February of uh, of oh four. So those happen, you know, w- within three weeks of each other. Uh, this Yardley, he was the first player to cross uh, 2,000 points in a season. He averaged 27.8 points per game in that uh, season and, and added 2,001 points to uh, to break through there. So he's obviously pushing it. And, you know, he's one of relatively few guards who are, you know, pushing this uh, forward. You know, he and Kuzi are the only ones in this club. I think you have some numbers on that going forward. Yes. And, and then... Um, 
And then Bob Pettit, uh, he closes out the uh, scoring in 1958 uh, with the second ever 50-plus performance uh, in the NBA playoffs, and it's the first uh, in the actual uh, finals. And it comes in a a 110-109 Hawks win in Game 6 of the finals, which was the, the clinching game there, giving the Hawks their only franchise championship. There you go. That's uh, it's a, it's a time to do it for sure. Score <laughs> fifty. It's a it's a pretty fun fifty two. You know he's got uh, does you know obviously fifty points, uh, nineteen rebounds. He does in a nineteen of thirty four shooting as well. Uh, also twelve of fifteen from the free throw line too. So yeah, quite the time to do the fifty point game is when it wins you a title. So uh, good on Bob Pettit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe he had uh, a, a crazy amount in the uh, in the fourth quarter of that uh, of that game. I think he had something like twenty five in the fourth quarter, or, or, or something. A, a, I don't remember the exact type of thing, but it was a similar type of thing to what LeBron did in that you know Pistons games where he had like twenty eight of the last twenty nine yeah, points or whatever. Okay, everybody get out of my way. We're gonna win this right. game, and I'm gonna do it. So yeah, <laughs> it, it was something uh, you know along those lines. Um, so yeah, so so suddenly, you know, after, you know, b- before this we only had uh, seven uh, 50 plus point games in uh, in league history and now we have four in one season. Um yeah. And, and things, then yeah, things are going to get yeah. wild here. <laughs> so, right. Strap yes. In. So the 59 season, we've got two more from Bob Pettit. Uh we've got one from Dolph Shays. And uh, then we get a really important uh, player in this club, a 55-point uh, effort from uh, Elgin Baylor, which is his first of 19 50-plus point games that yeah. he's going to have in his <laughs> career. And then we have another one from uh, Jack Twyman. And, yeah. uh, and and so with nine you know 50-plus point games over the previous uh, two seasons, that is more than doubled the total in league history so far. Yeah, so we're starting to see things get a little crazy here a bit, as we said. Yeah, now now you're starting to kind of see it a little bit. Now you're starting to see guys sort of feel themselves. You're starting to see, as you said, scores kind of emerge. Bob Pettit has now done it a, a bunch of times in consecutive years. George Yardley enters the, the mix. Dolph Shays enters the mix. Elgin Baylor, I think, is a huge uh, addition as well because he now makes his first appearance, and as you said, he would have many, many more uh, over the next few seasons. And even a Jack Twyman, too, who who will – we're going to say his name a few more times as well. I think interesting, Dolph Shays uh, finally enters the mix for Syracuse. So finally, for Syracuse. Finally, somebody from the Nationals scores 50. They're sick of having 60 being put on them. So now they do it. And I think that's a good time to do a little interlude of uh, this time period uh, and the breakdown of teams and opponents. So uh, as we mentioned before, a lot of Philadelphia Warriors, and that's only going to increase with uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, So they, in our time period, have 17 50-point games uh, up until this point. The Minneapolis Lakers second with seven. Uh, The Los Angeles Lakers right behind them with five. Uh, The St. Louis Hawks also with five themselves. Uh, Detroit Pistons, they have two. The Cincinnati Royals have two. Uh, and then one apiece for the Syracuse Nationals, the New York Knicks, and the Boston Celtics. Uh, as far as opponent breakdowns, we had mentioned it before. Uh, but Syracuse, n- uh, nine gets put on them. Uh, right, right, right behind them. You know, Boston's winning all these titles, but man, people are putting, putting 50 on them. They have seven 50-point uh, games on them, but uh, they have the last laugh, unfortunately, in many of those cases. Uh, Detroit Pistons, uh, they have seven Uh, Put on them as well. The New York Knicks have six. Uh, Cincinnati Royals, four. Uh, Rochester has two. Uh, Minneapolis, two. And then uh, Indianapolis, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Los Angeles, one apiece for all those teams um, as well. Yeah, it's interesting because you would think, oh, well, maybe the ones against Boston were early on when they were not known for being a defensive team. But no, those are all (laughs) uh, post Russell uh, uh, times. And and obviously, you know, pace. Figures largely into that that we've already uh, talked about, but sort of interesting um, there. So, yes, yeah, so, uh, well, it's going to be an even wilder ride over the next couple of seasons. Uh, 1960, we have um, 
we have 11 50-plus uh, point games. Uh, Elgin Baylor uh, starts off very early in the season with uh, with two of those. And then on, uh, on November uh, 12th, 1959, Will Chamberlain, uh, he gets the first of his 123. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? No, hold on, Jason. You said 123. What do you mean? 123 50-plus point games. Um, in only his eighth career game, with did, does he get his first 55 uh, points? We have a so, yes. <laughs> I, I, uh, I should have mentioned, uh, very importantly, that Elgin Baylor, his uh, his second of those games, four days or five days before Chamberlain's, he broke the league record with 64 uh, points on um, November 8th at 59. So that's uh, obviously a, a, a notable uh, occurrence in NBA history. He was 25 out of 47 from the field, so over 50%, you know, that's uh that's certainly uh that's good for the time and um I, I, hey that's good for any time you know that we'll, we'll we'll take that i'm gonna you take know, that yeah i'm gonna take yeah. that i'm gonna let elgin have that one so. right you gotta give him that one um uh so yes yeah, so so we're breaking the league record in points joe folks uh, no longer has the league oh. record and will chamberlain is uh crossing a barrier and, and he's gonna do it uh several more times uh yeah. this uh this season, and then uh, Brandon uh, Jennings, because Brandon Jennings did it in his seventh game, and and of all course, right. very similar career path there between Brandon Absolutely. Jennings and Will Chamberlain. Is so what it lets us know is that if you score fifty in one of your first ten games, that you will become uh, an all-time NBA legend, or you'll become Brandon Jennings. So one of the right, other, one so, of the two. Yeah. Yes, and, and Chamberlain would score fifty uh, points um, six more times uh, this season, including <laughs> oh. two of two of those in the playoffs. So oh. uh, yes, so he certainly is uh, getting there. Uh, we also have another new member of the club, uh, Richie Guerin, uh, who uh, scores 57 on uh, on December 11th, 59. Um, he um, and you know he's a little bit you know maybe forgotten among the the great guards of uh, of his time, but he definitely was you know he was an exceptional scorer. The Knicks were generally not a great team for him. He later had more team success uh, with the Hawks as a player and as as a coach, but. Um, and then Jack Twyman gets his second uh, appearance as well, 59 points um, against uh, Minneapolis of uh, of all teams uh, during that time. So you know the Lakers, uh, they're as you talked about earlier, they were they, they were scoring plenty, but they were you know giving up a few as well. Yeah, and I think Richie Guerin, we're going to mention uh, positions a little bit later, but he you know joins Kuzi and and and, and Twyman of sorts is like kind of the the only real guards uh, so far yeah. that we've kind of talked about. We'll get to that in a bit, but yeah, it is not a. It is not a guard-friendly thing, the 50-plus point games at this point. It is very much a big man's thing, but that's going to change a little bit, you know, in the next coming years. But uh, it's going to – it's still going to be rare for this time period that, that a guard. So Garrett and Kuzi being your real true point uh, – you know, true true guard guards. And then, obviously, Twyman also kind of classified as a guard, too, but he's kind of forward yeah. guard in basketball I, I, references. I, I, uh, but I, I tend to think of him more as a guard than a forward, but – no, I well, I think I think Twyman was actually more of a forward than he was a guard, um, largely. I mean, I um, I haven't dug into it that deeply, but I I do think he was largely more regarded as a a forward during his career. Um, but yeah, uh, sixty one. Uh, yeah, it we keep getting these games. You know, we uh, <laughs> it rises to just uh, we have fourteen um. 50-point games in the 1961 season um, after we had had 11 the previous season. So we're up to now uh, 42 uh, by the uh, by the end of the season. And uh, and we had 17 just two years ago. So of, of a total of 17 in the league history just two seasons ago, now we're up to 42 in league history. And um, we've got uh, we've got eight of these coming from uh, Wilt Chamberlain, who's um, – uh, of course, uh, just climbing up the leaderboard in this. Uh, Elgin Baylor, uh, at the beginning of the season, 
breaks another league record by scoring 71 points in a um in one game and um and, and Elgin himself has five of these during the uh, season. We also get uh, Bob Pettit in there with a seven-point game, and uh, that's really it. That's, those are the four guys who managed to, uh, to to cross the barrier this year, but obviously uh, Chamberlain and Baylor are the uh, are the dominant two. Yeah, uh, well, Chamberlain, his most impressive game, uh, most impressive 50-plus point game, I should say, uh, that year, 67. Uh, he does that in March against the Knicks on just 37 shots as well, so very efficient there. Uh, notoriously streaky free throw shooter, of course, Wilt. Uh, he goes 13-17 to 17 from the line, and that really makes or breaks, like, great Wilt games are like what he does from the line and there'll be one you know in next year that we're going to talk about a little bit where you know good night from the line can uh, result in some good stuff too but uh yeah as you mentioned Bob Pettit making his final appearance uh, with 57 points in February uh Elgin Baylor five times uh he, you know he, he put up 50 plus five times um in 1961 and then also the all-time uh scoring record at that point uh with 71 in November uh he shoots 28 of 48 from the field again I'm, I'm gonna give that one to Elgin that's not a bad little number there uh 15 and 19 from the free throw line and yeah his record would stand until well next year because uh Wilt's got something to say about old double digits he's not a man for double digits he's got uh more to say but that uh, of course will come I believe in our next episode because yeah we got to talk about 1962 and it's separate thing because that can't just be lumped into the back of this because that's 1962 is the thing. <laughs> Will Chamberlain's the thing, and we got to talk about that on its own. So uh, we definitely do. Yes, uh, yeah, we'll break it a, a few times actually the uh, next season. So, but but Will hold uh, or excuse me, uh, Elgin holds the record for another season. Will the closest he gets is 67 uh, at the uh, at the end of the uh, 61 season. So, but uh, but but yes, it's certainly uh, an interesting race it it's not i mean chamberlain definitely has the most but it's i, I would say at this point you, know, you you might think of chamberlain and baylor as you know close in terms of being great scorers like i i don't think wilt had necessarily like vaulted himself up in the stratosphere you so far ahead of baylor yet right, I, I, we're right, getting to that right. point but we're not quite there yet even though chamberlain has more you know baylor obviously has uh you know the the total the record total so uh it's kind of an interesting you know looking i wonder what the perceptions were at that day of looking at baylor versus chamberlain because yeah when it came to scoring those were the two players i mean you obviously you know we think of uh, chamberlain and russell as being the great rivalry at that time but you know russell wasn't you know into the big scoring game so um you know in terms of like um I don't know what we think of like a modern battle between two great scorers, you know, like Kobe and McGrady or, you know, Harden and Curry, you know, that would probably be the one right now. Um, you know, I, it was really Wilton Baylor, you know, certainly at that point before, you know, Wilt's going to, uh, you know, put himself in a class by himself in, during the next season. Yeah, I'm curious on the perception, too, because, of course, you have Will Chamberlain, who's who's scoring a lot of his points on, on not that many shots because he's just bigger and stronger than anybody. So, you know, his stuff's coming in maybe not the most picturesque, you know, drop it down to Will, Will turns around puts it in you, you know like that's kind of the wilt thing for a while well elgin baylor of course is doing it by cutting he's doing it by shooting he's doing it by driving the lane or whatnot so i wonder about the beauty of watching i mean obviously having not seen you know many of these games or or whatnot i'd, I'd be very interested to see kind of what or, or, or read a little bit of the perception of like is elgin the guy that people are looking at because he's doing it with skills and finesse and and this and wilt's just bruising and he's just doing you know kind of maybe not the most entertaining 50 plus point games uh whereas elgin is really doing them by doing a bunch of different stuff elgin's not just overpowering people he's using his his raw athleticism or whatnot to to, to do that so i i'd be fascinated to see kind of what people sort of perceived as the two and like you said you know wilt's 
putting the numbers up and he's doing pretty well, but Elgin still got the all-time records. Elgin's still the guy that's like, yeah, Will can do these 50 plus, but Elgin's doing 70. You know, Elgin's breaking his own records in single, you know, point games and, and or, or, or single game, you know, point scoring. But yeah, of course that next year is going to change a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, and looking a little bit at, you know, kind of the breakdown, as we mentioned earlier, Kuzi and Garen were the only true guards to get uh, 50 points, uh, you know, Twyman kind of in between a guard and a forward, otherwise, you know, mostly big men, forwards and centers, the positional breakdown of the 50 point games here, the center had it 48.8% of the time, a uh, true forward 19.5, a forward center 17.1, a forward guard 9.8, and a guard uh, 4.9. And looking at the season breakdowns, we have three in 1949, one each in 50, 52, 53, and 54, uh, none in 55, 56, 57, as we mentioned, and then four in 58, five in 59, 11 in 1960, and 14 in 1961. And looking at team win-loss, if you have a guy who scores 50 points in a game, you're going to win 87.8% of the time and lose 12.2% of the time. Not bad at all. Not bad. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Rich, uh, I think this is a good start diving into the uh, 50-point games. Of course, we're going to get into uh, some exceptional territory in the uh, next show, but <laughs> hopefully everyone enjoyed it, and you can find us at the step back at fansided.com. You can also find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast. Just search for Over and Back NBA, and you can find us on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter uh, at Over and Back uh, NBA. So uh, thanks for listening, and back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.